Welcome to the 24 Stories podcast that aims to educate, inspire and help build brands. I'm your host, Stephen Ryan, founder of 24 Stories, and I'll be joined each week by guests from a variety of industries here to tell you how they built their brands. Welcome to episode 24 of the 24 Stories podcast, which also means it's the final episode of the second series. And I'm delighted to be joined by Joe Kelly, who's going to talk all things promotion. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Hello, Stephen. Joe, um, you're not originally from Cork, I'm guessing. No. West of Ireland? West of Ireland, Galway. I uh, I came here in 1988 when I was 18. The CAO decided that my ninth choice, <laughs> <laughs> Arts and Cork, was uh, work owed to. Now, to be fair, I did fill out the CAO properly, you know, rocket science, <laughs> you know, medicine. It was like I did no work in the leaving. So how was I ever going to achieve those? So I think the last four were arts in different cities. And as my dad at the time said, he said, it's a university, go. So really, I remember uh, all I really knew about about Cork was Jimmy Barry Murphy and Sir Henry's Burning Embers, uh, you know, Cypress Mine, uh, Balsonic Sound, you know, yeah. basically bands from Cork and Jimmy Barry Murphy. That was about it, really. So what was that like coming from Galway to Cork? Like Cork in the 80s was very different to Cork, no? Yeah, I mean, I, do you know, I can remember and, you know, I, I, I've I, said this a few times over the years, like I remember I stayed in St. Luke's, weirdly, where we do a lot of stuff now. But so this is whatever, late August or early September 1988. And there was no ban on smoking fuels in Cork. So there was a smog that would sit yeah. kind of from halfway down Summerhill North all over the city. But the one thing I remember from English is like the, the term pateth pathetic, jeez, I can't even say, pathetic fallacy where nature sympathises with human emotion. And there was this just dark smog. It was like a Batman movie. <laughs> and yeah. walking down into Burkerton Street, my first night in Cork and go, wow, this is mad, you know. But it, it, equally, and I was only thinking about it the other day, um, you know, I think the fact that if you think, which is very significant, you know, that in 83, both Fords and Dunlops fall and probably Sunbeam around the same time. Mm. So it's only five years after that. And so, like, you know, Cork's always had, back in the day from the Merchant Pins time, it's always been a wealthy city. Mm. But obviously a huge amount of jobs went in the city. So it had that the start of post-industrial. And I really yeah. feel that has always fed into, um, you know, the fact that we had none attacks and, you know, Stump and certain bands coming out of the city, Micro Disney, to the next phase with the Sultans and Franks. And I think, you know, I think um, the history of a city can dictate, you know, in a good way. Um, you know, even when I got here, Henry's, literally, I get here and Greg and Shane and... Off. And they'd moved from Reds on a Thursday, Sean O'Neill um, had brought them over. And this, you know, really at the time, I remember thinking this is a kind of cultural anomaly, you know, because like basically you'd walk up. I was in college and you'd be walking through college and you'd see someone you saw in Henry's and there was a kind of nod, a knowing nod. And you kind of know we know, but they don't know. And really there was both very, very quickly. It just blew up, which was incredible time in Cork. And at the same time. You know, I'd be walking through seeing fellas you'd see kind of wearing baby grows the night before in Henry's, you know, adult size ones, which was the rage at the <laughs> time. And you'd see Knopf, Nyla Flair, the lead singer of Sultans of Ping, walking through in a leopard skin coat. And you're like, I remember the first time seeing him going, I hope he's in a band. You know what I mean? Because like, <laughs> but uh, so, you know, there was a lot of characters then, you know. So Yeah, it's interesting what you say about the culture, because I suppose the likes of Manchester, Detroit, Chicago, a lot of them had the same kind of thing, didn't they? Like yeah. where, where industry shut down and music evolved out of it. Very much so. I think I would always draw, draw those parallels, you know, Manchester, as you'd say, Detroit, Sheffield. Yeah. You know, so uh, there's something, you know, they speak of Sheffield that they could hear the machines, you know, mm. working 24 hours and the clatter and bang. Yeah. Because, you know, a huge element of uh, electronic music came out of Britain. But as well, what we had here, and if you think, even when I came to Cork, it was like, it's classic Second City, you know, a little bit of a chip on the shoulder, but uh, yeah. we do our own thing our own way. And, mm. you know, you know, someone asked me the other day, why are you still in Cork? And I was like, because it makes more sense to me than Galway. Having, I'd gone to boarding school in Dublin. So even though I go home to Galway, 
it just doesn't make sense to me in the same way Cork does. Don't know why. That's just because I suppose when you come to a city at 18, that's the start of your real growing up. And I did that in this city. So, so like when you were doing the arts degree then in, in UCC. Yes. Like what was the plan? Going to teach or something? Like what, what was the Not ultimate plan? Not at all. Jeez, there's Write zero. books or something? Zero plan. <laughs> it was just like I'm here for the no, laughing. No, it was just like, I don't know, you go to college, don't you? <laughs> so went to college and within a few weeks we'd started... Um, well, I started a band with a fella I knew that was staying around where I was. And then, so that was one of the goals, start a band. We weren't very good. We were called Knee High Loves the Grasshopper. What uh, kind of music? Ours pop. We yeah. did actually come third in the Mocker and Affirma UCC song contest <laughs> <laughs> in 19, whatever it was, maybe early 89. But then there was a guy I knew called um, uh, Ger from Limerick. And Ger and his buddy Trevor went down to Sir Henry's nightclub and they met Sean O'Neill. Now, I didn't know Sean, but I knew him from seeing this brilliant Irish programme called Megamix that would showcase Irish bands from the Cathedral Club in Dublin. And his band, Burning Embers, were on it. So I knew this guy. God, he's the lead singer of Burning Embers. And you go talk to him. I remember going down to the Grand Parade Hotel at the time, which Henry's was part of. Um, so basically, Jared and Trevor had rented out Henry's and they told me it's £140. Go talk to your man, Sean O'Neill. So I went down and we got a Wednesday night. And this is whatever, like, I don't know, March uh, 1989. And so I rented it and we did a night myself and this other guy called the Blah Blah Go Go Club. So the idea being blah, blah, you talk, go, go, you dance, yeah. blah, blah, go, go. And we did a few of them. And that was really the start of me renting out clubs. And But I'd been DJing before that anyway from about 87 because where I went to boarding school, there was a kind of mad professor, uh, priest called uh, Father Jack Harris. And Father Jack... <laughs> did he for your Father Jack and Father Jack? Father, no, no, but Father Jack was this mad physics fella. And he had uh, taught... Uh, like uh, Jerry Ryan and all these guys kind of community radio. So he had this shed out the back of the school and in it he had, and this is 86, 87, he had two Technics, a mixer, and basically it was a pirate radio station, but we called it, inverted commas, community radio. And uh, so I had a show on that called Sham Rock. (laughs) 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 Playing, uh, basically playing Irish tunes. Irish tunes, I I don't mean diddly diddle, but kind of, you know. Irish Rock or something. Yeah, Blue in Heaven, you know, whoever, you know, Cypress Mine, I don't know, whatever bands, you know. So, and uh, so that was my first thing of, you know, starting to do what I really do now and have done in Cork for, I don't know, whatever, 35 years. So it evolves from there. So you finish your degree then and... Is no, it ca- I didn't. Oh, you didn't? <laughs> no. Uh, you got distracted? I, I, I failed summer, failed autumn, repeated summer, <laughs> f- got through then. Nah, I, I, it was just a cover for doing nothing really. You know, yeah. effectively, by the time we had started renting out clubs, yeah. you know, and myself, it was originally with a guy, one fella, then another buddy, Ollie, who's from Waterford, and we started making good money, you know. And so, like, the thing was, most people at this period, you know, and, you know, nowadays it's kind of hard to to think, but, like, really there wasn't a lot of choices in Ireland. So it was either you were going away, and most people went away every summer. So uh, you'll meet most people of my age, you know, I'm 53 now, but you'd meet a lot of people around my vintage and they would have worked on the sites in London for the summer or yeah. all those things. I never did that because... At the same time as I had rented out Henry's, then bit by bit, I got a residency in the Donkey's Ears, which is on Union Key. I don't know what it's called now. It was Union Grind last time. But um, uh, and I had a residency there on a Wednesday night. And through that pub came Stevie G, me. There was DJ Fork, who I used to partnership when we were Egg and Fork. That's another yeah. story. And... Um, and a lot of DJs, Donkey Man, who played in Henry's, uh, Kevin and Liam, um, you know, so a lot of people came through this little pub, you know, and weirdly, at the same time, as much as the Donkeys on Union Key was, let's call it dance music, kind of, wasn't dance music, it was back bar music, so it was like hip hop. Kind of chillo, kind of, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. it was all the stuff that would be played in the back bar at Henry's while Greg and Shane would be up the front. And... um so basically there was that going on. And then on the other side of the city, which is there again, slightly different to what it was, was the Liberty Bar. And in the Liberty, you had 
uh, the Sultans, the Franks and all the kind of punk rockers and indie heads and all that. And it was a really vibrant scene. I mean, that was a particularly mad bar that you could buy two litres of cider over the counter and if you didn't fish, finish it I think you could write your name on it leave there and come back tomorrow <laughs> you know all this kind of yeah, mad stuff yeah. but but weirdly you know um, uh, even though the city was quite poor in one sense or you know that there wasn't a lot going on yeah it was thriving culturally because you see this. I mean, when you go into New York in the early to mid 70s, when the city of New York almost went bust, that's when graffiti on trains, because fellas, there was no security stop guys breaking into trains. There was, you know, they say the whole thing, like they, you know, there was a Blind Boy podcast where he draws the line between Trump inventing hip hop. But where he's coming from is true in that, Trump's father was a renowned um, bad landlord that even Woody Guthrie has songs about. And then Trump Jr. Um, had uh, basically was evicting people for not paying rent and they'd have these rent parties, block parties. And this is how the coal hip hop kind of thing started of people playing records at block parties for their, you know, local people, blah, blah, blah. So. So you can see Cork kind of evolving like that. So it sounds like a, a fascinating music city. In, in the early 90s. Yeah, it really was. I mean, but it's very important that you have, um, you know, like uh, there was, I mean, there was a great guy, Shane Fitzsimons. He works for the independent newspaper. I'm dumb thing. But Shane really pushed the boat out in that he was doing stuff in the village. He was doing stuff in the shelter, which is now the Bowery. So the village was part of the Grand Parade complex. So in the Grand Parade, there was four or five venues. There was the village there was Sir Henry's. There was what ended up being called the Forum. It was Energy. It was the Circus. It was Chandra's back in the day. <laughs> and then downstairs, I ran, we started this bar. I ran a bar for a few years at the back of South Main Street called, we had, it was called the Far Side. And then it became Jack Plugs after that. So it was this, I mean, the Grand Parade, you could write a book about. Yeah. I mean, it was so mental. I mean, Jerry Lucy is a fascinating character. I remember meeting him on a number of occasions in there, but he he owned, you'll hear, I was going to say you'd hear your parents, but actually you'll hear your grandparents speaking about the Majorca in Crosshaven, our Red Barn, or what is the Grand Parade Hotel was called the Stardust. And uh, Jerry and his brother Mark Lucy owned these. It's a, again, it's another part of Irish cultural society that fascinates me, the whole showband thing, because it was so huge, you know. But um, but Shane Fitzsimons going back to alternative venues and all that, like it was really an interesting time. But again, people had very little. There wasn't much money around, but that really didn't stop creativity. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, you kind of go, you know, post-Celtic Tiger, you know, like, for example, I look at clubs now and someone asked me the other day, what do you think is going to happen? And I go, there's a big lull. When I came to Cork, there was 17 and 17 nightclubs 17 even beyond there were 17 spaces that had late night music and there's probably three or four now and that has that has happened because few reasons the government charging 410 quid a night for late licenses the um, the uh, insurance and buildings whereby it's just too prohibitive for anyone. Yeah. Like now, if you say late night and I have a stairs, you're goosed, you know. So the problem is, I don't know how you deal with that, but until that changes, um, you know, it's going to diminish um, to the point of it won't be there anymore, you know. So you say 17 nightclubs, but yeah. then you started, um, was it more disco was the first kind of big one that you had? Yeah, so I was working, I was a resident, a resident, I got, I would have been renting out Henry's, as I say, from 89 to about 92. And then I was given the Friday night in Henry's. So I was resident there for about three and a half years. So Greg and Shane were Thursday and Saturday. And I was, this is up the front. Stevie G was down the back with Donkey Man Thursdays and Saturdays. And as time went by, Stevie took over. And I was on Fridays and my back bar guy, as in we were together as the two of us, was uh, Andrew McDonough, sadly, who passed away about two years ago. But Fork, as he was known, um, at the time there was this trance duo from Germany. And as a piss take, we were up in Dublin looking at clubs at the time, the pod and the kitchen and Rero. We were coming down from Cork on the train and we were like, you know, German spoon, ha ha ha, egg and fork. Sadly, we became egg and fork. So I was egg. So I got the rough (laughs) one. Like, I mean... 
you know, DJ Fork in his own is fine. DJ Egg, I was <laughs> like, nah, nah, yeah. it's not really working. But I, I gave up actually um, DJing in about 96. So yes, More Disco was the first, well, it was actually Simply Delicious was the first thing we did. And we did about six of them in Mangans, which is now uh, the back end of, uh, uh, what's that place? Weatherspoons, uh, Weatherspoons, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so we did that and we actually got a letter from Dreen Allen saying you can't use the word simply delicious. So we changed <laughs> it to E-A-U-X, I think, for a little while, like the French spelling of delicious. And uh, but that was a bit of a laugh. It was we had discovered this guy, Angie, yeah. um, Michael Nason's his real name, but he was known on the streets of Cork as Angie. So Angie had come on board and then we were like, man, he's brilliant. So we put him together with Stevie and we started, you know, there was nothing on in Cork on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night. Then Greg and Shane, Thursday, blah, blah, blah. Not much on a Sunday that I remember. So. Anyway, I had teamed up with Dennis O'Malan, who now has, you know, with Marianne, they have Liberty Grill and the two Gustos. Yeah. So Dennis was mad into, you know, going into Henry's and we just ran into each other and he was like, I want to start a night. And I was like, OK. And so we started doing stuff together. and It was great because he's a great business acumen. And, you know, I suppose I was good at ideas. So the real that Simply Delicious was grand, but more disco was uh, that then that brought it on a bit because it was a weekly club. The other thing was a monthly club. And uh, where Disco started in what is now the Oliver Plunkett, at the time it was called Norma Jeans. What's it called? Zoe's. It was, it? it was originally Zoe's, then it became Norma Jeans. And we were saying to your man, Adrian, the owner, we were like, Adrian, that is a terrible name. Change it back to Zoe's. It's got reputation. He did change it back to Zoe's. So technically we were in Zoe's for... The second phase of Zoe's first phase was Sean Zapp, uh, who was a great Cork DJ. I'm sure he still is. Uh, don't hear from much these days. But um, so that's Zoe's. Um, so we did that, but we started getting maybe 100 people. And this was a Tuesday night. So we really monopolized. I said to Dennis, look, he said, we'll do a Wednesday night. And I said, no, we do a Tuesday. Why? Yeah. I was like, there's nothing on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We're a, we stay a day away from Greg and Shane mm. and you make something into it. Anyway... We started, and after probably a year and a half, we were getting 400 people on a Tuesday night, you know, paying three quid or something like that to this disco club. And then we had a back bar with Andrea, who started Radio Friendly. That was the Love Lounge. And basically it was disco and soul and all that. And it was a very open door policy. And we were very clear about that, that we always wanted to be. Because yeah. you could have, you know, on Doors and Cork, I remember we had incidents with bouncers where... You know, they might be a little homophobic yeah, and we yeah. were quite the opposite, you yeah. know. And that, would, in many ways, it was kind of ahead of its time, wasn't it? Yeah. It, it probably was, but not in the sense that anyone that we hung out with, for yeah. example, at the time, Loafers in Cork and, you know, Derek, you know, amazingly brave to have, like that was, we'd say, a gay bar in Douglas Street. Yeah. It became a bigger bar as years went by, but the old one, which was quite a small Noel Mount bar, was amazing in that, weirdly, almost by saying you're a gay bar, was like a, a, a little bit of protection because it said a certain type of person's not going to go there and anyone that's pretty open-minded would. would. Yeah. So, like, it yeah. was kind of like... You know, a few gay buddies, like, I don't give a shit where yeah, you go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we weren't doing what they are the other place, which, you know, would have been one of the, yeah. the, um, so uh, the well, the key co-op originally, and then Arthur started the other place. But I suppose places where people feel safe, you know what I mean? Um, and so we wanted to continue on that. And on top of that, if, you know, we were like, just going, look, you know, the pink pound is as good as anyone's pound. Yeah, you know, yeah. we're cool with it. You know what I mean? So, uh, And how, d- how did you promote it? Like, just, like, for a lot of the listeners, like, there mm. was no internet, really. Oh, no. You know, it, was, <laughs> it was actually better then, I think. Yeah, like, how, like uh, how, how did you get the word out? Like, was it... Jesus, that was so much easier because I felt it was so much easier because what I had noticed was I used to, when I started the, I mentioned earlier, the Blah Blah Go Go Club, when I'd started that, literally you'd go get a magazine, right? So this is pre-computers. You get, you might find an old magazine, the picture, go, I like the picture. And then you'd go to a stationery shop and they had this stuff called Letraset, which you would have letters, you know, f- six A's, four B's. And you'd write, you'd put it and line it up and rub it out with the back, a pencil on the back and the letters come out. So you'd, basically build your flyer. And because I was in UCC, I'd kind of photocopy four of them, 
then put four to an A4 yeah. and then go photocopy a hundred, you know, so I've got my black and white flyers. And that's how we started. And like, no one was doing flyers in Cork. That's why, because, you know, going back to, you know, if in anything you want to make uh, it work, you kind of have to do the groundwork. And mm-hmm. I was there going, I've taken over Henry's on a Friday. This has been my dream for a few years. I'm not going to let this not work. And I made my own flyers, designed them myself, made them, put them out myself, and just pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. You know, in saying that, you know, eventually if something's good, it will come good. You know, that's the other thing. But more disco, more importantly, I had looked, and the only flyers really of consequence at the time would have been when Henry's did the Weekenders and they do a full colour flyer because it was expensive. So... We were lucky. I saw this designer in Cork. Um, he had done something for the Triscoll or sexual awareness. I remember he had a little man with a condom on his head. And I was like, wow, that's brilliant. And he's still a designer in Cork, John Bite, uh, Bite Design. And anyway, I spotted him and I was like, man, he's really good. So I went to him and I just knew that if you spent a bit more money, in other words, be better than the competition, mm. stick out more. So not alone was it we were going to do design. But it being more M.O. for the R, you know what I mean? Big disco or, you know, even my buddy was like, no one will say more in Cork. And I was like, nah, they will. Because he's Munster or she would have said more. (laughs) And I was like, go away. And we'd say no more. But anyway, they did say more. So what we did was I'd gone and, you know, I've still a penchant for the uh, car boot sales and all this malarkey. I didn't go for years, but I've started recently in the last year or two. But anyway... I went to a junk shop, uh, whatever, Oxfam or what it is, and I found these knitting patterns right from the 70s, you know, and the cheesiest people in ponchos. So basically, I brought these to John Boyd, maybe three or four, the the cheesiest of the lot of them. And he had, you know, he had a computer and he cut out the background and then put kind of this. I still have the flyers. I mean, still, whatever. 28 years later, if I was showing them now, you go design wise, they stick out at you and they catch your attention. So we were like, we want to have the best flyers, um, which we did, I believe, at the time for a weekly club. Absolutely. There was no one. And for a long, long time, I don't think anyone got near us. Henry's would do flyers occasionally um, for, you know, foreign DJs, but yeah. they weren't really on a weekly basis doing it. So it was something that I just said, you know, both myself and Dennis, that we want to be different and stick out as being different without being, you know, for making it fun because it was the three girls in ponchos, really cheesy 70s vibes with this long skinny flyer. Then, you know, actually Simply Delicious was even better. Again, it was funny. Um, We were basically, the first one was uh, because when we did Simply Delicious, I, it was cheaper to get two color print than a four color print. Okay. This was no problem to John Bite. So we said we wanted to do Simply Delicious Fruit, whatever we came up with fruit. So John put this, whatever you can do with the lapping over of print colours. It was a yellow background and we had strawberry. And I was like, do you know what we do? I don't know how I heard or whatever. There was that you could get strawberry scent where you get the incense, oh, yeah. those shops. So we got a sock covered in incense <laughs> and rubbed the side of the flyer. So when you got your flyer, you, would smell in, strawberry. you could smell the strawberry. And then the next one was lemon. And then the next one was pineapple. And you could actually smell off the flyers the scent. You so know? there was a kind of anticipation for the flyer every week then, kind of like, what are they going to come out with next? Is yeah, it that kind but, of and, um, absolutely. But as well, I think from a design point of view, like, you know, anyone that's into design, if I don't know, I'm sure it's archived, but like you had um, the face in England at the time and there was another magazine, I can't remember what it was. But anyway, same area, like design. So like when we did more disco, um, we got Flyer in the Month, the face magazine twice, I think, right? Oh. So I was going, how are we going to catch their attention? So I was like going, so I said, I went to John Boyd again. And at the time there was a VHS boxes and sure you'd find them anywhere. So we got a mock cover made up with more disco. And at the time we'd moved on to kind of smiley Brady Bunch family. And then I got bought some cheesy blue um, kind of like, uh, what would you, fur and lined it on the inside, glued it in. We put a cassette in there, flyers and something else. Can't remember what it was. I think it could have been even a jigsaw, a small jigsaw, 24-piece jigsaw that you put together and then yeah. red, so something like this. But anyway, we got Flyer of the Month for that 
And then when we did the Southern Zone Disco, I think we got it for that as well. So you were trying to kind of get your name out there. And, and as well in Dublin, I should mention that at the same time, there was a lot called Strictly Fish. And they were running this night in Rero called Strictly Hamburg. And they had the most beautiful, they'd make these little, I don't know what the, the name, origami is doing papery stuff. Yeah. But basically it was a die cut, which means you cut into the paper and it shows you all the fold lines and you'd fold it up and you had this beautiful little paper handbag. And it was stunning. And they would have different ones all the time. And you were just like, because at the time a die cut, which is the press to cut out the paper, yeah. that's the expensive bit. Sure, once you have that, you can change the design doesn't matter, you know, print out on the same paper 16 different designs and you're just going bang, bang with the die cut. So really at the time, there was a lot of good, positive design stuff going on uh, from England and, you know, people paid attention to it in a sense. So, we, you know, as I say, we wanted to stick out in Cork. And you put out these in bars and cafes and stuff like that. Absolutely. Sorry, I forgot that. But yeah, that was it. So you do posters, you do poster runs, you know, and um, you'd put them up and you kind of learnt as well that, you know, I remember seeing two guys down the, the South Main Street by Henry's, which it's amazing now, like back in the day. I know it's a bit back in the day, but like that was such a busy street with Get Stuffed or whatever it was called. And there were so many places, taxi ranks and whatever. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, fellas getting lifts home after Henry's and all this. And then the people that didn't get into Henry's. But I remember we had the third Simply Delicious and it was... Uh, it was a pineapple and it was two, let's say, young uh, fellas that were, I was I don't know how I would say them. Anyway, they, you wouldn't want them in your club. So one fella looks to the other fella and he says, you're going to that Simply Delicious. <laughs> and he goes, nah, boy, it's full of, um, let's just say, a, a, a bad word for uh, people of a gay background. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, hey, Jesus. You know what I mean? As yeah. in what's one saying to the other. But equally, I went, wow, that's amazing. So if these guys don't like it because it's pink and pineapple and more disco and meant to be a gay club, yeah. then they don't come. And I was like, this is even better again. Do you know what I mean? So not alone were our politics that the doors opened to everyone, but, but it was like, we're not, some e we're not even going to get scumbags because <laughs> they're like, I don't want to be near the gays, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and so obviously that took off and then... Like, how long did More Disco last for? More Disco lasted from about 94, Jesus, 94, 95. I don't know, it was about four years, actually. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, at the time, as that was going on, myself and Dennis said, do you know what we should do? Get a bit of concrete. And we started to look at buildings and we were doing this. And at one point we looked at the Roundy and this was maybe around 94, 95, something like that. And I think it was going up for sale. Uh, I can't remember what happened, but... Long story short, at the time in Dublin, there was two guys, uh, Jay Burke and Owen Foyle, and they had re-raw the globe. Basically, they were the hotshots in Dublin. Well, there was three hotshots. Hugh O'Regan, there was John Reynolds of Pod, of, pod, yeah. re, of uh, all that, Electric Picnic fame, and Burke and Foyle. And long story short, we were looking for, and through uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, we met them. They were thinking of getting bigger and moving, doing something in Cork. We wanted to do something in Cork. And we were looking for two years and eventually, um, I don't know how it happened, but Tom Colden of the Marina Market fame met Burke and brought him down, Jay Burke, and brought him down and showed him what is now the bodega. So we opened that. So basically between the four of us and we got money from breweries and all sorts of stuff you could do then, we basically bought a warehouse in the Coal Cay and um, the four of us. Is that what it was at the time before he opened it? There was pigeons flying around yeah. there. It was, was literally... It, I'd imagine it was a bit like the loft, was it? No? It, like, uh, it was a bit like that, but literally it was uninhabited and yeah. there was pigeons and it had been like a cash and carry and something. Like, which is remarkable when you see the size of the building, the bodega now, is if you go around to North Main Street and you look at Mr. Price, it's the, exactly the same as the bodega. It's the other end. The bodega, or the one, the version we had, was only about a third of the building, you know. So we opened that, you know, and... I mean, the Cold K now, it's mad with all, you know, Rising Suns and all stuff down there. But I mean, at night time, you did not walk down the Cold K because you get hopped. Like, there was no <laughs> yeah, streetlights yeah. in the yeah, Cold K. Yeah, yeah. And I remember us opening that building in December 13th, 1996. And I remember someone saying to me, that's going to be the greatest white elephant ever. It wasn't. It was very successful, you know. So, um, yeah. 
And like one of those things that you did to try and encourage kind of that going out. You mentioned it vaguely there ago. You were involved in the Southern Soul and Disco Festival. Yes, myself and Dennis again. We started that. So that was again. Was that we, around the same time as the Bodega? Yeah, it was actually. I think we did that in 97, 98, 99, for example. Basement Jack's first time in Ireland. We had, who else did we have? Yeah, the like, Jungle Brothers. and With Jungle Brothers. We had Bob Sinclair. We had... We'd loads of, you know, Ray and Christian. Um, uh, we had Jocelyn Brown, Gwen Dickey from Rose Royce. Yeah. Um, we'd loads of people. But that was sadly, actually, with Pat Lobby as well. There was three of us. I remember, again, sometimes you do these things. And I think we lost £28,000 in year one. And you're kind of going, why are we doing this? You know, but we we kept doing it. We got Guinness sponsored or funded it a bit better in year two and we cut down on certain things. I can't remember what we did, but like, you know, I look back in the three years and again, going back to, to be fair to John Byte with the design, I could show you the design now and, you know, we will put them up somewhere soon. You're going, you know, we had this funny, this, um, it was headphones and we'd made out of the wire yeah. a kind of smiley face and it was, you know, very simple, very iconic as well. So like the, I remember the Southern Soul and Disco Festival because I I was very jealous. I think I was doing my leave in sort of ninety nine or something like that, and I was like, "There's great acts," but like it was literally on the weekend before it was starting. Oh yeah. And like like were you trying to do an alternative to the jazz festival? Yeah, I mean it's funny, you know. You always think of a festival and it's there forever, so the jazz or the Rose Tralee. But that was businessmen came together saying there's nothing happening mm. in Cork, and you start something. So you know that leads on to. You know, you could say, you know, we did the podcast festival 2019. You can build on that as years to go. But I suppose really you can't just say, oh, Cork's great. You have to put things on that may draw people. I mean, going back to nightclubs and all that, if licensing was indifferent, was different in Ireland, I genuinely believe we could draw a lot of people here. But there's not a lot of reasons to come to Ireland for clubbing reasons. You know, you can go to nice gigs and stuff like that. But like, you know. And like, so the bodega evolved, am I right in saying then, into uh, the Savoy? Well, we then, weirdly, we ended up buying the Roundy in 99. I always thought it was a bad idea. The logic was from the Dublin partners was that, oh, it's really close to the bodega. I mean, you can't get much closer other than Denny's. Yeah. And uh, it's really close and it'd be easy, you know, if you need to borrow a keg. There was a lovely bar down on Mailer Street at the time. Can't remember. It was called the Mailer, probably. Oh, yeah. And I was like, that was the bar we should have bought. So you could just do a different version, but stay away from each other, you know. But opening the Roundy was a good, and more or less everything that's in there now, The you know, a lot of the setup or the furniture downstairs, that was all from that period. And, you know, doing up upstairs, opening up the ceilings. And, you know, because it really was... You know, it was a rough old pub when we took it on. But um, I just felt it split the crowd a bit uh, between the bodega, which was doing very well. And they were two very kind of fresh venues for Cork as well, weren't they? Yeah. Like, like two cool kind yeah. of venues. Yeah, and then, then we did the uh, Savoy from 2000 and then that went on for years. But let's just say I had, uh, a, uh, I was technically ousted by my partners in June 2002. So that... Um, that took a few years to sort out, you know, but um, yeah, there but you that, go. And that left you then where? Like, so like what happened then at that point? At that point, actually, it's funny that, you know, these are some, you know, this ties into what your show's about in a way. It's like, it's the things that don't knock you down. So, for example, I was in Henry's, so I'm there from 95. I'm, you know, I'm like, I love this. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. This is what I've always wanted to do. By 95, we had started to do more disco. The yeah. owners at the time started kind of hassling me because I was doing a club night outside of the Grand Parade Hotel. Yeah, I yeah. was like, you're not paying me a retainer. So, and I want to make a living out of this. So I have to do something. Okay. Anyway, so the pressure started coming on. And after six months, I said, see you later. Yeah. And I remember walking out the door because there was a record room upstairs. And at the time, the DJ box was up in a ramp. There was this big record room full of records of Greg and Chains. I had my ex over in the corner. But anyway, I remember walking out with the last box and just the weight lifting off my shoulders at distant, whatever, mid-95. And I was just going, that's one period of my life. The whole five years, really, three years up front, five years in the building, five, six years gone. And so be it. But I knew the bodega was in the pipeline, which they didn't know. Yeah. 
And, you know, that was another period of my life we went on. And then that ended, which sadly, well, sadly in that court cases are quite drip, drip, drip. And yeah. that took about four years. I won, they lost. But, uh, you know, it was just, I suppose I was like, for those few years, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because your hands were slightly tied, you know what I mean? When I When Cork ended, I was like, don't know what I'm going to do. My parents had a summer house in Connemara and I moved there for six months, kind of just, I was there on my own. I had a recording studio and was just making tunes and having the crack. But, you know, probably losing the plot slightly as well. Yeah, it was a tough time, I'd say. Yeah, it was tough. But equally, you kind of go, you know, these things make you stronger in a mm. sense as well. Because that's, you know, as I say, I it was funny when the, when the pavilion we had from 2004, 2008 to 2014, that period, when that went bust, Basically, that was tough. So really, between the five years in Henry's, and this only occurred to me uh, after, um, you know, after three things. So we had the Henry's years, then there was the Bodega slash Savoy years, and then I moved on, and once we opened, I don't know why we opened the path. We were there in today. Do you know, it was so... I don't mean that the whole nation was Celtic Tiger, but like yeah. we had been, I love the building, the path. So I was like, oh, we'll do something in there. And the Gaffney group at the time, Dave and, you know, Tom and uh, uh, the lads, they had bought the building for way too much in retrospect. Mm. Uh, but they thought it was fine at the time. I'm not blaming them. We all made mistakes. Then we as leaseholders put 950 grand into a building that I've nothing to show for now. Oh. Yeah. yeah, but these things happen, you know. That's why if you're ever putting money into a building, either put very little and just do a paint job or else uh, buy the building. You yeah. know what I mean? If yeah. you want to put money into it. But so like that period was brilliant in that, you know, I think I look back with pride in that we had Kanye West, the XX, Franz Ferdinand, Sly and Robbie, all these amazing acts played in there. And, um, you know, but when that went down, that was tough. Because you were just, I suppose you were there on your own and you not alone had I lost uh, a lot of money in the building, but I had shares and bonds and all stuff with Ulster Bank and they just gobbled it all up. And it was like, you left with nothing. And it was like, Jesus, you know. Do you feel and like you're back at the start again? Like when, when something like that happens, that you like you've had at this point 20 years of kind of putting yeah, gigs yeah. on and all that and now yeah. all of a sudden it's back to the start. Yeah, totally. You're totally back at the start. When the PAV had closed down, you just left there going, what do we do? And it was me, Stevie G and PAV from the lobby and we all lost a lot of money and, you know, we did our best for a long time but we should have never opened in retrospect in 2008. The country was going over the cliff and we were like, hi, we're here in nightclubs. And yeah, but going, you opened around just before would I be yeah, saying, but you could, was it the start of that year, was it? Yeah, but you could. We opened April, but you could kind of, there was probably, you know, if you were to look at what was kind of going on. But you see, to be fair, we rode it through for six years, but mm. the problem was our sins in year one and two caught up with us, okay. whereby, you know, that we were a late bar downstairs, and which stupid idea in retrospect, because... To be a late bar, it's 410 quid a night, right? Now, at the time, it was 220 euros. The government didn't even tell anyone. They didn't tell Fergie Fagul, which is their official pollution. It was on the Irish Times one morning. The late licences have jumped from 220 to 410. Nearly doubled. And so now, being legal seven nights a week, you're paying three grand a week. Just have a late license. That's like a lot, That's a lot of drink you'll have to sell. Yeah, but but yeah, because it's just bonkers. I mean, you know, I've been in New Zealand and I think they have something like might be five grand for a year for a license. Mm. And, you know, uh, then as long as all your, you know, fire certs and licensing and all that's in order. But Ireland is very, it's really backwards with regard to everything. You know, with regard, you know, like, you know, if we're to be true Europeans, like my buddy, he's from Cork, uh, Mushroom Designs, he lives out in Paros in the islands. He's from Bishopstown, Mushy, but he, he's, but anyway, he does a lot of our stuff. But like, he's there and, you know, he can go downtown at four o'clock in the morning and there's a little kiosk open and in the top shelf, there's beer, cool beer, and there's no problems. There's no fights, there's no nothing. And mm. it's kind of nanny state of the government to presume, I'm not advocating off license is open at four. I'm not trying to say that, but what I'm trying to say is how the whole idea of a public house came about was because 
in Father Matthew's time or before. And it was so mental that people were drinking gin and falling down the streets and it was bonkers. And they said, if we create a public house where your name is over the door, whether it's Ryan's or Kelly's, and that Ryan family are going to keep an eye on all their customers. That's how public houses, houses came about. So to be fair to publicans right across the boards and generally nightclubs and everyone else, they run their establishments well, but you keep getting knocked down. You know, personally, the whole insurance thing is another thing that should be hugely challenged because over the years, you know, in the path, like we were coming mm. to the end and we were getting near closing down, we had four uh, law or, you know, people suing us for blah, blah. One of them was legit. The other three were complete bogus. We got a letter from this girl, you know, from her solicitor saying 15 months ago, my client broke her leg in your venue. Like, and this is the first time you heard about it. First time we've heard about it. We go through all the records and we were like, look, if anything happens, we burn the DVD. You know, even if it was two days later, you'd burn the DVD and you have it. There was nothing. So there was no DVD evidence because there was no case. Oh, we were in your place uh, from this time to this time. They weren't. And because the insurance company or whoever the barrister said to us, can you prove she wasn't in there? I was like, can I prove she wasn't in there? How could I prove she wasn't in yeah, there? Yeah, because you'd have no recording of that still. Of course, still. Yeah. of her not being there, you know, and she got 23 grand and you're going the whole, you know, this is like ridiculous. Like, mm. you know, I'm I'm sorry, but like, it just drives me bonkers. Ambulance chasers, they're screwing it up for everybody. You mm. know what I mean? Is it one of the reasons why there's hardly any nightclubs left today? Yes, clearly. I mean, you look at the Barry now and apparently... It's the, it's not a nightclub anymore. It's a it's a bar that serves till half twelve. You know, I don't know what it's called now, the Mason or whatever. Because yeah, yeah. I'm guessing from an insurance point of view, being a bar is uh, lower down on the the scale than being in a club. You know, but you know, please God, we'll see in years to come the evolution of. I think you'll see the evolution of smaller clubs if the licensing price. Yeah. Because you think about it, if you have a club that holds two hundred people, let's say, and it's 400 quid a night it won't be but that's what it was two quid a head if you have a club for 2,000 people do you know what I mean what are you paying you know yeah, yeah. so it's scaled to be bigger rather than scaled to be smaller and I'd argue a smaller place imagine 100 people it doesn't have to be a dance club it could be tables table service little jazz band playing in the corner those type of ideas will come to light but God knows when you know so, so. probably we'll probably see the I suppose going back to old times again. Like, mm. it'll probably nearly take back 30 years, rewind the clock and start, mm. like, people will do what you did. Well, you see, sadly what happens is if if society is not providing, if they're not providing, right, mm. what is needed, well, then they take it into their own hands. So I met a fellow yesterday and uh, he has a record shop in town. We were talking about this and I was going, bet you it'll go underground. And he said, it started... So what's happening is kids in their late teens, 20s, whatever, are having technical illegal raves in all sorts of places down the country. And they're doing that because they don't really have much option. I mean, there is no alternative nightclub in Cork at the moment. I mean, there is Cypress Avenue does events with DJs, but Cypress Avenue, I'd argue, is a live venue that does you know, electronic yeah. of DJ events you know again. Yeah. as opposed to it's a club. It's not a straight up club because a club doesn't have a stage. Um, you know, so what I'm saying is that, um, yeah, I don't know. I and as a club also, you know, there'll be a lot of people here. We have a vast age profile listening to this. You could have anything from an 18-year-old to an 80-year-old listening. Mm. And people have different conceptions of a club. But I think a club, I think I spoke to Stevie when he was on the first series. Mm. It's like a community as well, isn't it? You mentioned well ago where you'd salute guys in UCC and... Mm. Well, it's, it's, you've touched on there, Stephen, which is almost like what needs to happen is the word be reclaimed, right? So I remember back in the day, the lads up in Galway who had the GPO and they've still got Roisin Dove and Massimo and Blue Note. But anyway, they bought really early in the dot com. They had clubbing.com. So anyway, they owned it. They had an office. They had a magazine. There was 11 oh, staff. Yeah. They were doing events in Ibiza. Everyone, someone, a fellow I know in England was trying to get through to the lads who owned it going, we'll offer them a million quid for the name because everyone thought, oh, .com, they have clubbing.com and Jesus, and you know what yeah, I mean? This yeah. is a license to print money. It didn't happen, you know. It, it kind of, it faded out, you know what I mean? So 
like clubbing itself, and and you've touched on it exactly, was that when you would, like for example, I mentioned the Liberty, uh, you know, you'd go in there, it was a certain type of person, a lot of them wearing black. You'd go to, uh, you know, uh, the Donkeys was a certain thing. You'd go to Loafers was a certain thing. There was all, there was Isaac Bell's over at the back of the Metro. There was all these little places and all little scenes going on there. Mm. Not to say that doesn't exist now. I mean, interestingly, I know a few months ago I was out and I went to the Friary, Mike Darcy's place. Uh, we ended up there and there was a really interesting community of people in there. And I was like, this is brilliant that there's people in this bar that have a place where they feel comfortable because that's what you want. So it really is that word of like a club where like it's almost like, I don't mean the Cub Scouts, but the idea of a club is like-minded people. Yeah. And, you know, the problem now with social media and all these things is if I go, uh, Stephen, there's this band you got to see and you go, you look up on YouTube or, yeah, you know, you find yeah. out, you yeah. listen to them and you've preconceived notions. Like if you wanted to start the coolest band in the world, they'll only release on vinyl. They'll have nothing digital. Mm. They'll have no photos, no information, you know, tell them nothing. And then it's something, yeah. you know. So, you know, it's like I remember years ago when we were doing more disco, Dennis said, we should go to Dublin. And I was like, no. And he was like, why not? And I was like, fuck them. They can come to Cork. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and yeah. so, sorry about that for, for any underage. You can if you want. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was like, no, you come to Cork to experience it. Yeah. Don't try yeah. to bring it to them. Let yeah. them come to, you know, us, you know, whatever. So there you go. So, But the clubbing thing is, I would love to see that idea that... You know, you can see it in certain yeah. communities. Like, for example, someone said to me the other day that in UCC there's a big Indian community. Yeah. And when we had the keynote for a short period, we, we did a night and it was all people from India. And I was like, this is brilliant. Yeah. You know, so uh, all the people from out of, uh, you know, the new Irish and people that have moved here for work reasons and whatever, you'd love them to integrate and go, come on, tell us about yourself. We want to hear a bit of Brazilian. We want to hear a bit of Polish, you know, whatever it may be, you know. So I'd imagine you'll never go back and do a club yourself again, will you? Like a club, uh, like uh, open a club. Would you go down that road? I do. You know, I I wouldn't really because I mm. think I think weirdly, if I could put it this way, I don't think you can be one thing anymore. Okay. So, you know, you do a podcast, you yeah. lecture in marketing, yeah. you probably are involved in some businesses, blah 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 blah. That's the kind of game is have loads of eggs in different baskets. Yeah. And if all the little eggs can give something back. So, for example, what we, myself, Ed and, you know, Keelan who works with us and, you know, all the other people, you know, what we're hoping to do, we run a thing now called The Good Room. So since the PAV, when that closed down, 2014, I was there going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And luckily... My sister, who lived in New York at the time, she said, I'll pay for your ticket. Come over here. And because I had kids, um, you know, I was going, you know, you're looking from a parent perspective and you're going, there's monkey maze and there's, you know, safari, go safari yeah, or whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah. And if it's dry, there's photo, house and gardens. And we've walked around that six million times, yeah. which is great. And look at the monkeys. But I was like, there must be more. And I'd gone to, in Dublin, I think it's closed now, sadly, Imaginosity. That's Did you ever go to yeah, that? Yeah, I didn't go, but I heard of it, yeah. Oh, it was amazing. And it was based on... So when I was in New York, I went to, and I saw this, the Brooklyn Children's Museum. Now, yeah. museum sounds dusty, but this was quite the opposite. This was like telling you about the cultures of people that have lived in New York over the years. There was just... It was pure children's education, true history and all this really, really well put together. And I was like, we could do with a bit of this in Cork. So I thought at that point, maybe this is what I'm going to have to, you know, or look into doing. But anyway, I came back to Cork and my missus was singing in a choir called the Jingle, B-E-L-L-E-S, the Jingle Bells, who sing around Cork at Christmas, you know, yeah. for penny dinners. And basically they were singing in St. Luke's. And even though I'd lived on the north side, Patrick's Hill and, you know, Montanati and all over the north side for years. Um, and I lived in Tivoli. I'd never been in the church in St. Luke's because it was Church of Ireland. She's singing there. I walk in the door and it was like, it was the Eureka, another oh, Eureka yeah. moment. And it was just like, Jesus. And the church in St. Luke's, because it's red sandstone, I believe, as opposed to like limestone, where it's like, you know, the buildings on the mall, they're very... You're like, wow, that's really nice. 
it's kind of there and you don't notice it, even though it's ginormous. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I walked in the door and it was December 15th or something. It was Baltic. And, you know, my son at the time, he's 12 now, but he was two and a half or two, something like that. And he was like, I want to go to the toilet, I want to go to the toilet. So we just sat down and I'm going, wow, look at this church. Went across the road. I'd been in the Henchies before, but not in the wine bar. Went into the wine bar. I was like, what a lovely atmosphere. Knew what Henchies was like. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. The whole idea of a triangle. Uh, and not that everything's triangular, but what I'm saying is the rising tide lifts all boats. In other words, if you want to do something in an area, it's actually really important that you've good neighbours that are doing something different, but it's yeah. all working together. So to be fair to Cork, you look at the McCurtain Street now and you know I mean I lived on McCurtain Street in 92 for maybe a year and a half and it was mental at night time like bonkers you look at it 30 years later it is shishi I never yeah, thought I'd say it yeah, you know yeah. and so this does happen you know but um, yeah so there you go so out of that visit sorted St. Luke's oh yeah and so you, basically you came up with an idea then well St. Luke's I was there and I was just going Jesus you know, if you put in a proper lights, proper lights, proper, you know, proper pro production, <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is world class. And I was there going, knowing an old building, because I didn't think there was heating there, even though there is, it's been broken, but there's nearly all fully fixed. But anyway, I was like, who owns the building? And I was like, Cork City Council, all the building. And literally, I approached the arts officer, Maeve Deneen at the time, who was brilliant, and maybe in January, and said, and she said, look, maybe apply for funding and see what you can do. So... We went to them, we said we'd like to do a series of gigs in August. The reason I picked August was I said the outside temperature would be grand, so even if there's no heating, it'll be bearable. And that run, the first act on stage was Own French, a.k.a. Talos, uh, supporting Balonescu Quartet, this... They'd done this famous album of, uh, of what are they called, Kraftwerk covers, uh, but uh, chamber orchestra style. This is 30 years ago. Anyway, there was them, Mary Black, Carol Sullivan. Uh, I don't know, was Mick Flannery there maybe? But anyway, we had eight nights and sure, it was brilliant. And, you know, it was very simple. It was like, look, the building is amazing. And, you know, put in proper lights, sound, staff, you know, people that, you know, basic stuff. People are coming in, how are you, how's it going? And when they're leaving, just say thank you. I mean, it doesn't take a lot. And if you do it, it's amazing because we do notice this in sales that we find it easier selling tickets to St. Luke's than other venues. Like, you know, we do occasion gigs in Cypress Avenue or the Opera House. And just, I don't know what it is traction-wise, but St. Luke's just has an extra bit of something. My personal belief is because we don't have, you know, Almost when you were asking me about, you know, would you have a club? We only do 40 gigs a year and they have to be, you know, we did a a run and we had like 90 people. Now, the church holds 400. And if you have 90 people in a church, that's 400, but it could even do more. Yeah. It's not going to work. So anyway, we do bigger acts and we do 40 of them a year. And then you see people leave going, that was great. That was great. You know, one or two haven't been perfect, but in the greater scheme of things, most of them are very good. So it's it's interesting that that's kind of like going back to what you did initially with Simply Delicious, where it was kind of that spaced out once a month. Kind of, I know it's a bit more obviously, but mm. it, very let, much so. You know, it's kind of if you limit something, yes, it creates a demand in itself. Yeah, I mean the the thing is regularity, you know. So yeah. you know, interestingly, you know, have it once a month. I mean, we used to do Telefunken back in the day in the Metropole Hotel. That was twelve hundred people. Uh, in three rooms and we started it was eight pounds then it, it was tenner on the door and mm. we, we after three of them sold them all out and it was because I think like anything in, in life you know if you start a coffee shop and it's good or a restaurant or a clothes shop doesn't matter if you really believe in it and that used to sell out because I remember going to the very last one I think it was yeah. slightly before my time so I got to the last one and it was just phenomenal just to see Everyone was looking for tickets for it. Yeah. And I mean, I remember at the time, no one was doing visuals in Ireland. And we had, um, what you call it, like we were doing really well. So this probably, I don't know, 95. I think, you know, I think something we were doing so well, like we were getting like, you know, like an almost a weekly wage out of one night a month because we had Guinness helping us sponsor it. You know, we ran it really well. And on top of that, we'd visuals these guys, the only guys in the country doing it at the time called the Lighting Surgeons. 
and like we were able to cut a room with mm. a screen. Like, you know, loads of little tricks. Good DJs, good music, nice people saying thank you, please. Yeah. You know, basic stuff. And, um, you know, by the law of averages, it should work, you know. So all that kind of experience has, has led you to, I suppose, the good room. And, and then in kind of, you had a festival, didn't you? Uh, it, it takes, takes a, a village. Yeah. yeah, it takes a village. And was yes. that the good room as well? Yes. That, well, <laughs> that was technically Sample Culture, which is our outdoor company okay. that we use for outdoor stuff. You know, like we did a, a series for um, Cork City Council called Magic Nights by the Lee. So we did... Loads of parks in Cork. So we did Ballin, we did Ballin College, Ballin Lock. We did four in Fitzgerald Park. We did the Glen. Uh, I've done the Glen twice, actually, which is cool. You know, the first time we put a symphony orchestra in 2017 up in the Glen. Because I was going, everyone thinks the Glen is like Mad Max or something. Yeah. You know, like kind of, uh, you know, this kind of mental place. And you're like, Jesus, lovely little old ladies walking their dog. Yeah. And I was, and then I had heard that Alois Fleischmann, who's head of music in UCC for 44 years, lived in the Glen. And I was like, this would blow my head. Anyway, long story short, we put a symphony orchestra in the Glen, which was cool, you know. But um, yeah, but, you know, it does lead you on. Like, It Takes a Village was, um, we did that for three years in Trabalgan, which it was great. I mean, the last time we did well, but the first year again, we didn't do as well. But that might be um, rearing its head again this summer, somewhere around. Okay, okay. You know. so, somewhere else maybe. Maybe somewhere else, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the only hint I'll give you is, you know, it's almost like, you know, back in the COVID days when you kind of, you can't leave your county and you're like, no problem. I can go from Yall to whatever, Skibbereen yeah. or wherever it is <laughs> up to, you know, Newmarket. Uh, or wherever. So, yeah, no, like us, the good room, myself, uh, Keenan, like, we, you know, we're really sticking to Cork, you know, um, because we don't really need to go outside Cork because there's enough, like we've done boat parties with Trish Harris from Cork Ar- Ocean Cruises, um, uh, or sorry, Cork Harbour Cruises, should I say, it used to be Ocean something. But anyway, Trish from Cork Harbour Cruises, like we've done that last two we did on the big boat and we did Cork Harbour and it's just amazing. You go down Cork Harbour. So, you're on a boat. I always think, get on a boat. It's cool, right? So you yeah. don't. If if I put you on a boat, we didn't even move. You'd be like this brilliant. Then when you move down Cork Harbour. You're like, wow! Look at Montanotti and Tivoli and yeah. Black Rock and you know Passage and you know uh, Cove and all these beautiful places from the water. And then you Shane Johnson or you've Donald Dean on it, and it was superb. You know what I mean? So I suppose what we're going forward, you know, obviously. St. Luke's is our stronghold, but like, you know, next month we've, uh, we say CMAT for two nights in, uh, what you call it, Cypress Avenue. We've Lancome uh, for two nights in the Opera House. So we do all those things. But as well, there's, you want to be doing more stuff in different places because genuinely, I think there's so many interesting places around the country yeah. or the, the, the county, should I say. You know, the city is what it is at the moment. You know what I mean? In other words, you know, it's kind of going back to, there's, you know, as well, I'm 53, I'm not 18. So the thought of being out till three or four doing a club event, not the same as, you know, <laughs> yeah, doing something. You want where, to do something during the day. Yeah, maybe. well, it's kind of home by 11, thanks. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you know, and, and and then that leads us on to, I suppose, the podcast festival, yeah. which we did do. Well, I suppose it was Ed um, three, four years ago. We did it in 2019 and we were meant to do it in 2020 again. Obviously, that didn't happen. Because of the situation, um, but uh, it must have been one of the first podcast festivals in the country, was it? I think Dublin was there, but I think what they were doing, which was, you know, we've done it ourselves. Sometimes you just put a title on the thing, but theirs was spread out over a month, okay. so it was kind of like a load of gigs with a title. While what we're doing, like this time now, we've only announced three, three uh, so far from the Opera House, but we're actually doing six nights in the Opera House straight. Oh. So from Tuesday to Sunday. We'll have some daytime as well. Actually, that Emma Dorn and Warren O'Connell thing is a daytime. Yeah. You know, there's... Uh, and then we're going to... We're doing something in the Cat Club on the Sunday night. We'll have Maureen's, you know, basically. And there's other venues we're chatting yeah. to at the yeah. moment. So there's loads of things, you know. We might even get you to Republic of uh, Work to do something as well. But, you know, so... But last time as well, we did 11 venues, right? It was just like, what are we thinking? The lunatics. So this year we might keep it down to maybe five or six, you know. But, you know, it's it's just, I suppose, a nice bit of focus. You know, this year, um, it's great having the Opera House because it does, when you've big shows like we have Blind Boy, 
we've Off the Ball Sports, we've the new one from Brenda and Julie Haynes, uh, Left on Red. Um, and then there's other, let's say there's two Cork lads have a podcast, could be any two Cork lads. <laughs> Uh, there's it's a few. Anyway, it's not you. There's only one of you. It's not you. <laughs> so two cork lads. We've two. Yeah. Well. Anyway, you'll find out soon enough. So we have kind of the best of you know in cork, and then like last time we had history ones, we had scary ones. Yeah. We'd uh, you know stuff focused kind of more on um, you know girls being uh, mothers, all that. There was like literally everything. There was the creepy crawly one, the critter shed, which is amazing. It's this yeah. guy. Um, the Critter Shed, it's called. That was brilliant. Yeah, we'll have loads of different things. So it's, you know, August, what is the last weekend of August? We've kind of softly launched it because the Opera House had their brochure coming out. So we said, okay, we better throw something into it. But I'd say in the next week or two, we'll probably announce going Very forward. different from Southern Soul Disco Festival to a it's podcast. A, well, with, I mean, uh, you know, from, you know, you could be there when you're doing bands, right? It's like loading a tree, sound check at four. And then you're like snare. You hear the sound you're doing, you're going snare, snare, <laughs> snare, 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 kick, kick. And this goes on for like ages. And then eventually, okay, play something. Then you move on, you know, play the bass. Podcast is uh, quite much easier. It's like one, two, one, two. Does the microphone work? It works. <laughs> Off Let's we go. go. Yeah. Nah, you, you know, you kind of say, is it coming out in the monitor and yeah. are they recording? But relatively speaking, it's pretty straightforward, you know. But... Like all things, you know, as I was saying to you before we started recording, I think the good ones and the interesting stories and mm. all that will, do you know, they're kind of audio documents, if you want to call yeah, it that for yeah. a better word. And things will be there, please God, for years and years and years. You know, you know, RT, I believe, had one of the earliest podcasts and they didn't even know it was a podcast. It was called Docs on One. It's still there. And there's like 1,500 documentaries. They're all 40 minutes or less. And they're little basically snapshots of Irish history. You know, there's brilliant ones like Cork-based ones. I, you know, I'll, I'll name a few. Like there's um, there's one called 12 Mile about a guy from Glamour called Gary Hyde who had a few pubs in Cork and he brings boxers from Cuba to Cork. Oh, yeah. It's yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. There's another one about these girls. It's called Little Shop, Little Shop of Secrets. And these two ladies called the Wallace Sisters who owned a shop down the end of Augustinian Street. So weirdly, it's facing what is now the Liberty Bar. And that was the centre of IRA intelligence. It was the last place where um, McCurtain went before he went home to Blackpool to get shot by the Tans. But that's called Little Shop of Secrets. I highly recommend that as well. And then, like, it's got a good search engine. Go, You can find stuff about anything, you know. Yeah. And that's the interesting thing with podcasts, I suppose. Joe, we finish the podcast with three questions yes. every week. So the first question, obviously, this is kind of geared towards marketing and the podcast is, it's not solely marketing, it's a business podcast, but yes. what tip would you give another business to build their brand? And I'm thinking somebody that wants to promote an event in particular. Do you know what? I think, you know, definitely try to keep your overheads down, right? Mm. So, for example, even us as a company, we have one office that we're paying you know, because St. Luke's, we only use it when we're there yeah. and City Council uh, give it to us for a non-fee, but we don't get any grants or anything. So everything's paid for. But what like the thing is that I'd say if you can work for home at the start, whatever it is, obviously, if it's a coffee shop, you can't be sitting in your bedroom. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. And if you could do that, whatever that may be, um, you have a good chance, you know, of going forward and as well you know, only do something that you're really into. I mean, I was over in Blackpool yesterday and I saw a shop that had closed down. And I mm. remember I used to pass it or go in there and the staff would never even say to you, uh, how are you doing? Is there anything I can help you with? Just give us a shout. They were all just always at the counter talking to each other. I was like, that shop's going to close down. You have a feeling for it, yeah. Well, do you know, so like, be you know, your customers pay your wage. So mm. like, you know, it's really important that, you know, that's the other thing, you know, just be nice to your customers. That's it's they're not asking for your life story. They just want, you know, to be polite and basic stuff, you know. But yeah, so I'd probably say, you know, try to keep your cause down, be nice to people and believe in yourself. Stick to your own guns. You know, I go back to when we did the design. It's like if you want to stand out, it doesn't have to be anything mad, but it's just a smart idea and just keep. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. And if it's a good idea, it'll come good. 
as I'd say often to, to students and stuff, be remarkable. Something we're talking about. And that's kind of what you were doing for years. Yeah, without that we were there going, we're remarkable. But <laughs> what you're, you're trying to do, as opposed to try to, you know, fit in, you're trying to stand out. Yeah. So, like, just because so-and-so's doing something doesn't mean you should do it because you should be going, that's great, but I'm going to do something do different. Something different. The second question I have is, what tip would you give an individual? And I'm thinking, you've had a lot of setbacks. Yeah. What tip would you give them? someone to bounce back from a setback like that? You know, if you have a good idea and you can put the time and the love into it, it will come good because the other thing, like if I could put it this way, back in the day, in the 70s and 80s, it was like, oh, a record company. In a record company, there was no computers, no this. A record company was a fax machine or a postal address. You could run a record company from a house or whatever. The thing is this, that if you, with your product, whatever that may be, Mm. That if it's something you can put in a box and sell or whatever, the world is a big place. You know, whatever that is that you do, believe in what you do. But as well, you know, strangely enough, we're here in uh, Republic of Work. It's like bounce ideas off people because they might, you know, sharpen your thing Mm -hmm. by just, you know, people like helping each other, you know. And the last question I have is in association with the show sponsor, Skillsbase. Yeah. What skill do you think is essential for the events business? I would say try to get as much experience as you can before going solo or doing whatever you can, you know. You know, listen to stuff and take take influences yeah. and, you know, try to f- sharpen your pencil as you go by, you know, having experiences doing different things and then that'll formulate your own thing. And as I say from a little while ago, it was like just try to be different rather than the same. So Yeah, but I suppose you immersed yourself with a lot of different people over the years and all those little bits of information you probably got from them, whether it was Jerry Lucy back in yes. the you know, the Grand Parade to Dennis to 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 Stevie to Pat or whatever and I'd imagine everyone had some sort of little influence on you. Well it's absolutely they all do and in one sense I go, it's an exciting time going forward because I just go, Look, this city, you know, as I say I'm here thirty five years, like in 20 years, it's going to be significantly different. I mean, who thought Horgan's Key would develop? I thought it'd be the other side of the river. Yeah. You're going, you know, once the dock starts moving and all that develops and the Port of Cork moves to Ring Skiddy proper and then where Crosby, Transcar and all that area down, you know, Tivoli, I suppose. Yeah. Once that gets built on, Jesus, the potential is huge. But please God, they plan it properly, like have cycleways from these places, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, but I really do think Cork as a, you know, a good mid-sized city, um, you know, it's got so much potential even that I'm here. There's lots and lots of things that frustrate me about it, but the potential is still here. And the potential to see uh, some great podcasts coming up in August. I think it was a great uh, way to finish the series, to have Joe in to talk about the podcast festival, to talk about Cork growing, um, especially from what you call yourself a blowing. Uh, mm. Surely you're a Corkman at this stage. No, <laughs> my kids are my businesses, but like, no, I'm not because no, I don't think you ever will be. And do you know what? I don't mind it because yeah. you just see things slightly different. So, in other words, don't let it be a disadvantage. Whatever sometimes is a disadvantage is an advantage because you're going to see things differently. Joe, thanks a million for coming in. It's been a fascinating conversation. I think we could have gone on for another few hours, to be honest. If I remembered my train of thought, I was like, oh, but anyway, that happens with me. I go off and one, I'm like, oh, but anyway, so there you go. Thank you. That wraps up this week's podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Skillsbase app, which is a solutions provider for companies looking for mobile first engagement and blended learning tools. To find out more information on what they can do, visit skillsbase.ie. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the show and get in contact with us on all social platforms. I will be back again next week with a brand new episode.